wanted to encourage us to remember that uh, this time can be very, very valuable, but if we hear, let it go in one ear, ear and out the other and walk out unchanged, unprepared to obey uh, what Almighty God has to say to us, then, then uh, it'd be less useful time. So let's make sure that our, our hearts are prepared. I know I've had to search mine regularly and, and this week and make sure that uh, I'm ready to learn. So let's pray briefly. Father, thankful for your word. I'm thankful that it's clear. Thankful that uh, while study and, and degrees help a ton when studying the Bible, I'm thankful that, that um, I can still read it. I can understand it. I can hear you speaking through it. A simple man and... and uh, thankful that you chose to uh, send your son to not only uh, purchase salvation and purchase the the clear way back to God, but to be the living word so that as we then look at your written word, uh, he makes it all come together. He makes it all complete. So Lord, we turn to your word now. We depend on you for everything, even uh, for our understanding and our, our obedience. So we pray that your spirit would uh, be working in our hearts to make us obedient children of God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. We've been studying that and come to understand that when God is talking uh, to His children, t- telling them to be Spirit-filled, that we understand that as to be controlled by the Spirit. We understand that the uh, world and the flesh, me, And the devil all want to oppose the spirit having control, the spirit having a say in how I live and how my words and thoughts and actions are governed each day. But the mature believer becomes more and more skilled at allowing the spirit of the living God, the powerful God uh, who lives in each one that knows Christ as your Savior, Maturity helps us more and more to learn how do we let him control more of what we do. I was watching a YouTube with a friend of mine and it was summarizing the, the news of salvation and, and he summarized it in an easy way. He said, salvation and repentance starts with giving up. Starts with understanding that I can't do anything to save my own soul. I can't do anything in my own strength to honor God. And we know from Scripture in Hebrews that without that faith and dependence in Jesus Christ for what He's done, all is futile. Well, the same is true when it comes to being Spirit-filled. I don't have enough willpower. I don't have enough strength. I don't have enough smarts to be able to flip a switch and become controlled by the Spirit of God. I've got to have a humble, contrite spirit Uh, a willingness to say, God, I'm yours. It's even going to be by your strength that you allow me to have the humility and obedience to obey the Spirit and to be filled by the Spirit. So today, the focus is to husbands, but understand, ladies, single men, there is a ton here for every follower of Jesus Christ. And we never want to ignore the, the biggest importance as well, that we hope this morning that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that you've come to that point where you've said, God, I can't do this on my own. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ died on a cross years ago to pay for my sins and I receive his 
gift of salvation. If you haven't done that, I'd urge you to to consider that now. Thankfully, it doesn't require ceremony. It doesn't require pomp. It just requires a humble heart to say, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. And I'd encourage you to consider that today. Once we're followers of Christ, as we said, he's clear that the Spirit of God, living God, was sent to us by Christ from the Father in order to help us, in order to live inside of us and to allow us humans to live supernaturally for him. It's exciting stuff. So let's dig into it again. What does spirit-filled look like? We talked a little bit about what it means. We've talked about that for a week. It, it, it means being controlled by the Spirit. But what does it look like? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 lays it out very, very clearly. If you're able to join us Wednesday night, it was a fun time. It wasn't all just fun and games, though. In the backdrop, subtly and importantly, there was a theme of true love. True love. And there were tens of verses up on a line and... and uh, the ladies, I think, so wisely had each of us take one home. And we've got six of them now uh, pinned up to the, the door in the kitchen so that we can look at those verses and realize that what does spirit-filled living looks like, look like? It looks like love. So I would urge you to make a big note, whether you put a piece of paper in your Bible at 1 Corinthians 13, or if you're all digital that you do something, I don't know how to do it, but I'm sure you can figure it out. Put a bookmark in your electronic Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. Because if we want to know what a spirit-filled Christian looks like, that spirit-filled Christian is characterized by love. So 1 Corinthians 13 follows up in, on the whole theme of how do I be controlled by the Spirit? I've got to be characterized by love. And I won't go real depth in it, but I want you to know that throughout the entire message today, we're going to come back to this. This whole concept of true love. What does verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13 say? Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong. Right? We can be the smartest, most studied people on the planet, but if we don't have love, we don't have a shot at being spirit-filled. Because God is love. I can be Mr. Wordsmith and have a golden tongue. But if I don't have love, it doesn't matter. So understand that when we're talking spirit-filled, we cannot forget for a minute the verses that were put up for us Wednesday night, the verses that hopefully you have at home on your fridge. If you didn't get to take one, there's more on the back table. Take those because that is the building block, a key building block for being spirit-filled is being a man or woman of love. Husbands, same thing. Boy, if you've been married for more than a day and a half, you know that there's no shot at being the husband God wants you to be if you are not characterized by love. It's at the center of it all. So when we talk about spirit-filled husbands, if we have the pattern of love, we've got a shot. If we're not men, and in other contexts, women of love, then we're not going to be spirit-filled. 1 John 4, 7-12, through 12, take a quick look at that. I think it's really, really important. Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves God is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Then we're given probably the best pattern of all. 
for this true love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to satisfy the the penalty of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God the Father. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Love is at the center of any spirit-filled living. Good week for that, right? Valentine's Day yesterday, perfect timing. God's word. Second general point. So if there's two things that you can leave here, whether you're a man, woman, or, or a young person, the three things, I'm sorry, the two things are number one, love. True love, sincere love, as Romans 12, 9 calls it, has to be a part of our lives. It has to govern and control everything we do. If love flows through us from God, then there's a key opportunity to be actually controlled by the Spirit. So that's the first thing to remember. Love. Second one is God's Word. I wish I could tell you a really um, profound and, and uh, unheard of pattern this morning for how to be a Spirit-filled person. But you'll be irritated because it's the same message we've had for years. You've heard love one another. The second point is just as common. We have to be men and women of the word. We have to be men and women of the word of God. And in today's context, husbands, there is no shot, no chance of being the spirit-filled husband that God wants you to be, that your wife needs you to be, that your children need you to be. No shot if we are not in the word of God, if we're not reading the word of God, if we're not listening to what God has to say. Luke chapter 4, one of my, this is the favorite passage that I studied in preparing for this. This idea of being filled with the Spirit is somewhat abstract, right? Luke 4 was really powerful to me. Turn there if you could. This is well worth looking up and reading along with me. Anyone remember what Luke 4, the first part of Luke 4 was all about? Jesus Christ, Almighty God, was led into the, the wilderness by the Spirit and something pretty ugly happens while he's there. Do you remember what happens? The devil himself comes to the Lord Jesus and begins to tempt him in pretty profound ways. And I think we can learn a couple of, of key lessons here. First of all, look at verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about, isn't it? The Spirit-filled Christian, the Spirit-filled husband, etc. Jesus is our example. Luke 4 is a keen example where it says, first and foremost, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, Spirit-filled, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. He ate nothing during those days. So get this picture. The Spirit of God is leading Christ and being an obedient follower. Christ is saying, I'm going to be controlled by the Spirit and follow his lead. And he leads Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days with the task of don't eat anything. 
Don't eat anything. While he's there, does it say the Spirit tempted Jesus, by the way? No. What does it say? Who tempted the Lord Jesus while he was there? The devil tempted the Lord Jesus. This is a a key theological point. It's a side note, but God does not tempt us. The Holy Spirit does not tempt us. Scripture tells us clearly that God does not tempt. He allows us to be tempted by the world or the flesh or the devil, but the Spirit of God is never going to tempt you. I wanted to make that known because as you're reading these verses, don't mistake the context of he was filled with the Spirit at the same time he's being tempted, but the devil is the one doing the tempting. Okay? So what happens then? He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Can you imagine going 40 days without food? I can't, as you can tell. haven't gone a day probably in my life. When he's hungry, the devil said to him, If, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Makes sense, right? This is Almighty God we're talking about. This is Jesus Christ, the second member of the Godhead. Could he turn a stone into bread? Easy. Who else is around? Is it going to make a big scene? No. Nah. He's alone in the wilderness. Was this a meaningful temptation? Was this hard temptation? Well, if you were gone 40 days without eating, would it be hard for you to resist eating something that could be right in front of you? Absolutely. But there's a key ingredient. Jesus answered him, verse 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and, it, and I give it to whom I will. If you will then, will worship me. It will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall, excuse me, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Third time. The devil took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus, in the heat of battle, he went into the wilderness filled by the Spirit. But as we've learned through Dr. Frank and Lev and others, how quickly can that change? As a follower of Christ, I can be filled with the Spirit, but then if I choose to give in to temptation and sin, am I then being filled or controlled by the Spirit? No. Jesus could have lost that filling. He could have chosen disobedience. What was his strength at that key time? What was the key ingredient? It was three different times. What did he say when he answered the devil? What were the three words he said? It is written. It is said. Where is he getting that? From the word of God. From the holy word of God that Jesus Christ had studied all his life. Now, we have a huge advantage, right? We've got the whole New Testament. He would have studied much of the old. But he knew God's word. Let me lay it out clearly. If the Son of God needs the Word of God in order to stay controlled and filled by the Spirit, 
Which of us can go without spending time in the Bible? No. The Word of God is essential if I'm going to have any opportunity and success to allow the Spirit of God to control me. Make a big note on Luke 4. I'd urge you to go back, read it for yourselves, learn from it as much as you can. John 15. John 15. What's John 15 all about? Does anyone remember? I love it. It's one of my favorite chapters. But what's the theme there? Yeah, abide in Christ, right? Jesus says, abide in me. If you abide in me, ask whatever you will in my name and it'll be given to you. There's a pattern in John 15 that lays out closeness, intimacy, connection with Christ. But in verse 26, we see a key part of that. As part of that abiding in Christ, look at verse 26. But when the Helper comes, big H, capital H, who's the Helper? Who's the Helper? The Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Abiding in Christ and being Spirit-filled are intricately tied entwined they're they're one in the same and in john 15 verses 7 through 11 he lays out another key pattern look at that verse 7 jesus says if you abide in me remember being filled with the spirit is completely dependent on being abiding in christ and abiding in christ is directly linked to being filled with the spirit the spirit the helper will be sent to help you abide in christ to control you so that you can abide in Christ. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The word of God is central to being a spirit-filled follower of Christ. Husbands, you cannot be a spirit-filled husband if you are not regularly in the word of God. It won't happen. The word of God was even fuel for the son of God to resist temptation. We don't have a shot without it. I say that because there's two challenges right off the bat, and that's what I kind of summarize. If you're going to leave here with two things on your mind, leave with whether I'm a husband or anyone else, if I have a shot at being spirit-filled, my life will be characterized by love, true love, and I have to be a man or woman of the word. Those are fundamental ingredients. Elementary in many forms but how many days do I struggle with both of those? How many days do I conveniently forget to be in the Word of God? Too many. Let's be men and women who choose to be characterized by love and who choose to be in the Word of God daily. It's not hard anymore, is it? I can literally have this thing pop up a reminder when I wake up to be in the Word of God I can literally push a button and while I'm driving to work, I can listen to the Word of God for 10 or 15 minutes on my way in. It's not hard to be in the Word of God. 
We have so much opportunity. Let's take advantage of it. Let's be men and women who commit to spend time in God's word daily. Finally, we're past the general stuff and we're on to husbands specifically. Now, wives and, and other singles, don't think for a minute that your opportunity to learn is done here. Remember, when we're talking about spirit-filled husbands or spirit-filled wives, there's truth for all of us to grab on and, and listen to. But husbands, I gotta tell you, there's a good, healthy tail kicking here for you if you're willing to listen. Uh, I was telling Lev a few weeks ago, he spoke to the wives, I don't know if you got to hear that, and I said, Lev, you were, you were kind of, I don't know how I'd say it, but you were pretty uh, light on the ladies. And Chrissy says, what are you talking about? He listed this and this and this. Well, what became clear to me is, ladies, you're good at picking up on subtlety, right? Lev could be careful and gentle, and he's saying something, the lady's going like, I hear you loud and clear. Men, we're not so good at the subtlety. So if it seems like we've got a baseball bat to the uh, tail to, to this morning, no offense. It's just that we men oftentimes need it laid out black and white. And I'll promise you, I got a good tail kicking in the last several weeks as I, as I studied what the Word of God said to husbands. How as a husband do I choose to be controlled by the Spirit and to love my wife and others in the ways that God would be honored? So what's the Spirit-filled husband? Well, first of all, we need to understand what we're up against as far as resistance. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. What's Genesis 3 about? What's the most famous topic of Genesis 3? Do you remember? The fall. Good. It's the fall. It's where humans, mankind, made the choice. The only two people on the face of the planet that I believe had a free moral will. The only two people that had a legitimate choice of whether they choose to sin or whether they choose to obey God were Adam and Eve. And what happened in chapter 3 of Genesis? They chose disobedience. They chose sin. They chose to follow uh, a path of self instead of following the path that God had laid out. Now, there's one clear person to blame, right? Who took the fruit first? It was Eve. You can read it. Well, almost all biblical scholars that I'm studying, the people that are teaching me, guess what they're saying? While Eve was interacting with the devil, where was her husband? Most believe he was standing right there. Most believe that he was a part of it all. But in typical male fashion, he was being a weenie. And he was being a wimp. And he was refusing to take the responsibility, the God-given responsibility to be the head of that home and to lead he and Eve to follow obedience. From the very beginning, we see a harsh reality of where we're at, men, that our flesh, the world, and the devil all want us to shrink back from our opportunity to lead and to be spirit-filled husbands. Our responsibility to fulfill our purpose from God. If you go down to verse 17 of chapter 3, you have specific uh, consequences that men will wrestle with because of sin. And to Adam, God said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What's the consequence of sin for men? It's all going to be hard. It's going to be trudge through the mud. It's going to be constantly resist what's easy to do what God wants. Now, make no mistake, we'll speak in a couple of weeks on the spirit-filled worker. Understand, was work the consequence of sin? No. Genesis chapter 2, right after God had made man and woman, God gave Adam his work. See this garden, Adam? It's your work to tend it, to work it, to make it abound in crops. See these animals? It's your work, your job to oversee them, to have dominion over them, to organize, to, to oversee. Work is not part of the fall. We don't go to work because it's a part of the evil necessity. No, work is a gift from God. Where did sin warp it? That it was going to be hard. That it was going to be unpleasant. That it was going to be, oh, here we go again. That you constantly, men, would have to resist what came easy and natural and pursue what God said to be workers, to be leaders. So understand, men, I think Genesis 3 points out our Achilles heel as individuals. We're lazy. We struggle with laziness and apathy and wanting to shrink back and let others take responsibility. Ladies, you heard several weeks ago that you have a different weakness and shrinking back is not your weakness. But men, laziness is as natural as sleeping to us. Let me say, if I'm going to be the man, the husband, the spirit-filled husband that God wants me to be, it's going to be a daily grind to fight laziness, to fight apathy. And the Spirit promises to give me the fuel as I spend time in the Word. He'll give me the fuel to overcome that laziness. But I just want to be realistic that there's resistance to everything that I talk about here. Let's look at the other side of the coin. Ephesians 5, 16 through 18 is going to just lay out for us in the last uh, 15 minutes here or so. It's going to lay out for us what a spirit-filled husband can do to, um, to fulfill that, that charge, to be controlled by the Spirit. And again, ladies, there's stuff for you too here. But look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Hopefully you're turning there, scrolling over there. This goes along, the reason this is so hard, I think this will go right along with laziness. Verse 15, and again, he's not specifically talking to husbands yet, so it's for all of us, but understand, husbands, it's key. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Step one, men, and of course, in, in addition to our base of love and being in the word, but practical point one, take use of every minute that God gives you. I already said it. We're lazy individuals. It's so easy to waste time. There's no time for waste time. As a husband, as a spirit-filled husband, every minute of the day needs to be dedicated and focused. Does that mean that I can't play Madden 15 on my game system and be honoring to the Lord? I'm not saying that. In fact, I believe think I'm weird here. I'm ready for the stones. I believe that it's possible to include a pure, uh, untainted, uh, recreational activity. It's not sin in my belief to do much of the recreation that we do. If there was a Sunday night basketball and and, uh, the Lord led you to be part of it, I believe you could do that in obedience. I'm not saying that video games or sports or these other things are of the devil. I'm not saying that. But we have a weakness, men, that we can allow those things that could be decent for relaxing and unwinding to become far too much a part of our daily lives. And we've got to be men that are willing to say, God, how do you want every minute of this day spent? That may include a portion of time for unwinding watching Sports Center or looking on Facebook or playing some video games, you know? I'm not saying that it's got to be, um, you know, Holy Scripture 24-7. But I am saying that in my heart, and probably in your heart too, you know when we're wasting time. And God says, no chance. If you're going to be the full, spirit-filled man, husband that I want you to be, every minute has to have a purpose for God's glory. Easy, right? Yay, yay, yay. Heavy stuff. What else? Well, now we go to the part of Ephesians 5 where subtlety again goes out the window. And Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, says, Husbands, meaning, guys, I've got some direct commands for you here. Listen up, husbands. Verse 25 Love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm saying that, the, that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Break it down now. What is God saying? Verse 25. How is a husband spirit-filled? He loves his wife as Christ loved the church. No problem. The only expectation for a spirit-filled husband is that he has perfect love for his wife. Piece of cake. Right off the bat, we see that this spirit-filled living is not a joke. It is intense and it's serious 
and it requires focus. Why do we have to make sure every minute of the day is used? Because that's impossible with human strength. I'm a flawed individual. When I'm asked to love my wife just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, whoa, will I ever be done living up to that? No, but the spirit-filled husband makes it his mission to grow and grow and grow to where he's loving his wife more and more and more. 1 Corinthians 13, we already said it. Husbands, if you want a clear pattern of the nuts and bolts of loving my wife, start looking at it. Love is not rude. Well, let's be real. What does that mean? That means that a full-out belch at the dinner table is not love because love is not rude. And it goes on and on. Love is kind. Love does not seek its own. Heavy stuff. Heavy stuff. John 13, I think, summarizes as well what a loving husband, a husband who's seeking to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Well, to me, the easiest way to get a picture of that is to look at what Jesus did to love the church. And in chapter 13 of John... It's pretty clear. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, And taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Later in that same chapter, Jesus says, I've served you by washing your feet. Now you wash each other's feet. You know the story. You know that these were burly dirty men that had walked in sandals down dusty roads and their feet were smelly and dirty and the son of god lays aside his own clothes gets a towel on and starts washing up these burly guys smelly feet i think there's a clear message husbands to us how do we love our wives like christ loved the church we serve we selflessly serve it is not about me If it is, I'm not a spirit-filled husband. It is about serving my wife. It is about laying aside what's easy and comfortable and convenient for me and doing everything to serve the woman that God has given me as a helpmate. Here's a, uh, what do you call that, a link, right? Hannah's going to email this out to everyone, but husbands, look for an email tomorrow because this is a link that has really, really helped me practice 1 Corinthians 13. Um, several years ago, there was a devotional that came out called The Love Dare. And in The Love Dare, there's 31 different steps of how to show love practically. And um, they're pretty powerful. They're pretty good. Husbands, if you want help getting in the habit of loving your wife more and more like Christ loved the church, I would challenge you to save that link, go to that site. Don't tell anyone you're doing it. And day by day, start going through that. 
there's a verse from 1 Corinthians 13 on every day. And it explains that love is pure, love is kind, love is not rude. And then it gives a practical step. Guess what day one is? Purpose to not say a single negative thing to your wife all day. Piece of cake, right? I started out and I'm like, oh, you know what? Oh. And it's amazing how many negative things that we say. And yet the, the perfect love of Christ is humble and gentle. And so I was really challenged and helped by a simple reminder on that day, for instance, to focus on not saying anything negative to the treasure that God had given me as a wife. I'd urge you to do that. I'm not saying there's some magic in it. I'm not saying that there's some uh, extrinsic value of doing this, but it helps. It's a big job to love my wife like Christ loves the church. And I need every help I can get. And for me, men, this has been a practical way to start stepping through obeying 1 Corinthians 13 so that I can better love my wife closer to how Christ loved the church. So much more to say on that, but we've got to keep moving. Look at verse 26 and verse 27 of he Ephesians 5. So first one was easy. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's the standard. Verse 26 then begins to add to that. Verse 26 says, Why... Uh, as you love Christ, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. A spirit-filled husband leads in holiness. Leads in holiness. So that you can present your wife as holy to the Lord. First of all, that requires holy living on my part. Leading by example. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, This is the will of God for your life. Your holiness. Your sanctification. That's what God wants from every follower of Christ. But husbands, that's what he wants from us. Guess what the context of 1 Thessalonians 4 is? Purity. Purity. The whole context of this is what God wants for your life. Holiness is in the context of sexual immorality. God wants purity. And husbands, let me be blunt. There is so much garbage for us to look at, intentionally and even unintentionally, that purity of our hearts and minds is a major struggle. The spirit-filled husband takes that challenge on by God's grace and strength and says, I will be a man of purity. I will not allow anything impure to be put into my, in front of my eyes. I will not let myself think on a tempting impure thought that pops into my head. By God's power, I'm going to say, no, that's impure, that's not holy. The spirit-filled husband won't think on that. And a challenge, men, seek purity. You can't present your wife as holy to the Lord if you're not modeling holiness. And you can't model holiness if your mind, if my mind is not pure. I think, men, you can fill in the gaps. We know what that means. But let's be pure men. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Gird up the loins of your mind. What does that mean? 
Well, girding up was the, the act where they take these long flowing robes and if it came time to fight or run, the men would, would put the back of the robe through the legs and tie it off so that he was ready for action. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Get ready for what? For holiness. Be holy, for I am holy. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and prepare yourself to be holy. Holiness is a daily job that I resist sin, I resist the world, flesh, and the devil, and I pursue being separate for God, separate from the crud that's around us every single day. Men, the spirit-filled husband fights the war against impurity, fights the war against sin, and gets serious to live a holy life. It's a test of our manhood. Will we gird up? Will we get ready for battle? And will we daily seek holiness? There's a huge opportunity. When we set an example of holiness, it's our privilege then to lead our wives, to lead our kids in holiness. And what's the best way to do that? Well, it's not crazy that it's all a cycle. It goes back to love. If I'm a gentle, loving, caring, consistently serving husband who then pursues holiness, then I've got opportunity to challenge my wife and encourage her as well to become holier every day. The spirit-filled husband leads in holiness. So much more we could say on all of this, and maybe there'd be a chance sometime for us to have a discussion, men, about it. Here's a tough one, verse 28. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. This is a clear message. Put your wife first. The illustration here is treat your wife at least as well as you treat yourself. Did you see that? Love your wife as he loves his own body. But newsflash, men, we're pros at loving ourselves more. We're pros at putting our own needs ahead of our wife's needs, our own comfort ahead of our wife's comfort. Can't happen anymore. We've got a purpose to put our wife's needs first. That's going to mean some unpleasant stuff. I can promise you that. That means you're on your hands and knees scrubbing toilets more than you used to. That means that you're doing the dishes more. You're cooking more. You're helping out more because the spirit-filled husband puts his wife's needs ahead of his own. Let me give you some practical things on this. Husband is the head of the home, right? Scripture teaches. Does that mean that the husband gets to choose the movie each Friday night? No. Oh, sorry, Dr. Frank. Dr. Frank was saying yes. We'll, we'll work this through. What is a husband who's putting his needs of his wife, who's preferring his wife? I've heard of Christian men saying, I am the head of the home, we're going to do this. And I'm going like, are you a moron? God did not make you head of the home so you could pick the movie. God made you head of the home so you could lead in holiness and follow God's purpose. We've abused it. But an easy way to govern that, to make sure there's a regulator on there, is ask the question, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for my wife? Is this what my wife would want and need or is this what I would want and need? It becomes pretty clear. 1 Peter 3, 7 is an annoying verse for husbands, but it's vital. It's vital. And as we wrap up, uh, take a look at 1 Peter with me. 
1 Peter 3, verse 7. Here's another one for bookmark men. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, live with your wives in understanding, giving honor to them. That's hardcore. Our wives are very different from us. Our wives have emotional needs. They have needs just to vent, and I'm supposed to listen, and I can't solve the problem, which I've never quite understood. I've got to just listen. Well, forget that. I'm going to tell her what needs... No. The loving husband that puts his wife needs first lives in understanding with his wife. And when his wife needs to just listen and vent... The husband beats down the urge to tell her the solution to the problem and listens as an understanding, humble husband. I was interested. I went on my Google and I started looking at uh, uh, what do women want? It's interesting. It's interesting. What women want? WWW. There was all kinds of different ideas that the world had about what, what women were really looking at. But you know what? On a lot of them, I think that makes a ton of sense. We are bad men at listening and understanding what our women really want, what our wives really want and need. Not so with the spirit-filled husband. The spirit-filled husband is willing to say, it's not about me. As hard as it is, I'm going to learn to understand my wife's needs and then no matter the cost, I'm going to meet those needs. And I would urge you to really pursue that. Joy. What's joy all about? Well, Jesus, others, you, right? We need to take this to heart, men. Jesus is our top priority. And then in honoring God and and living for Jesus, others need to be next. And I'll tell you, Scripture says it's your wife. Then my needs. Then my needs. Am I putting my wife's needs before myself, before my own needs? Too many times I'm not. What women want. If you want to, I can't ever recommend movies, right? Because everyone has uh, leading on their own. But if you Google that one, there was an old one with Mel Gibson that had some funny stuff. And, and uh, he learned firsthand uh, what the women around him wanted and needed. And, and uh, I laugh, but at the same time, men, we do well to, to do some thinking, to do some listening, to do some preparation on better learning what our wives need, what other ladies need, so that we can meet their needs before our own. There's a lot more. There's three or four other key points. You can see them in your outline. And my hope is is that uh, we'll have time to to dig into them at some point. But for my heart anyway, that's sure enough to chew on. That's sure enough for me to take away and to start obeying, right? The Spirit-filled follower of Christ, ladies, men, loves like 1 Corinthians 13 lays out, and spends time in the Word. Husbands, our opportunity to love our wives is love our wives like Christ loved the church, sacrificially, lovingly. Two, lead in holiness. Set aside impurity. Set aside sin. Pursue holiness. And three, am I putting my wife's needs ahead of my own? He who love your wife at least as well as you love yourself, right? Put her needs ahead of your own. Jesus, others, you, 
remember, let's focus on what our wives need and meeting those needs. Father, I'm thankful for your word. It's not easy, it's not fun, it's not pleasant. But Lord, I sure have an, uh, a list of things that I need to act on. I sure have a, a change that needs to take place in my own perspective oftentimes of who's most important. And so Lord, in the, in the name of honoring you for the sake of showing the world uh, the love of the Father and the sacrifice of the Son, I pray that you'd help me to be a, a better husband, a more spirit-filled husband that puts my wife's needs first and that honors you in, in, with every minute of every day. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.